Our first reading this morning is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase, and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know that what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be God. The Gospel reading is from Luke chapter 4. Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, It will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Over to you, Chris. Can I pray for you before we begin? Sure. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Chris, for his love for you, for your love for him. We just pray that you'd come and speak through him now. Take, your, take his words and make them yours. And Lord, change our hearts and minds more into your likeness. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, good morning and a happy new year to everybody. Uh, That's the good thing about preaching, I suppose. You get the chance to say Happy New Year to everybody all in one go, so I don't need to do it at coffee time. I've got that out of the way. (laughs) Pivotal moments. 
We all have pivotal moments uh, every day of our lives. Every day we're, we're faced with decisions that we have to make, and most of them, uh, they don't really mean that much one way or the other. Uh, whether we choose frozen peas or not frozen peas, when we go supermarket shopping, I don't think God really minds. Uh, I think he allows us to make those kinds of decisions without really bothering too much about it. But then there are other times in our lives when pivotal moments come along, when they really, really do matter. And uh, if you're over the age of 16 today, I'm sure, like me, you can look back on your life and know that there have been times that have been absolutely pivotal to your life, and if you're a believer, to your walk with God. And this passage is one such. It's a kind of pivotal moment. It's a kind of watershed moment. It's a kind of defining moment. Because when I was thinking about this, I wondered to myself what would have happened at this moment if Satan had actually overcome Jesus. What would have happened if the saviour of the world didn't even get to even have that shot? What would have happened if the outcome had been different? Well, hindsight is a wonderful thing and we know that by reading the scriptures that didn't happen. And we kind of know that there's no way that would have happened because Jesus is far more powerful than Satan. But the thing is that I love about Jesus is that throughout the whole of his ministry, he allowed himself to become vulnerable for our sakes. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And when Jesus was confronted by Satan in the desert, he was confronted as a man, Jesus as a man, who needed to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we read in the previous chapter that when Jesus was baptised, when he came up out of the water, he wasn't sprinkled, when he came up out of the water, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert for this confrontation. Jesus was vulnerable. I love it when the Bible says that after 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. That is some classic understatement. Jesus in the desert, the Judean desert, without any food for 40 days and 40 nights, humanly speaking, he was right at his lowest ebb. In a desert. In a desert. Jesus made himself vulnerable for you. Jesus was God in the flesh. And being in the flesh meant that he was open to compromise, potentially. Potentially even open to corruption. If this was a boxing match, God was giving Satan a really good shot at the title. A really good shot at the title. And I mean that more literally than you might think. Because if this was a boxing match, this would have been kind of like Jesus having both of his hands tied behind his back. And it would have been like the devil in one of those cartoon sort of uh, 
scenes that you sometimes see where the villains got boxing gloves with horseshoes in both. God was really giving Satan a leg up. He was really giving him a really good shot. And when I was thinking of this, I was thinking of Adam. Not my son-in-law. That would be a bit weird. But I was thinking of Adam. All the time I was preparing for this, I was thinking of Adam. Because out of all the titles that Jesus has got, and there are hundreds, one of his titles is the last Adam. He's the second Adam. And why is that? Because Jesus came to redeem that which was lost. Jesus came to walk back everything that Adam had done in the garden and put it right. And here's the irony. Adam, the first Adam, was in a garden full of plenty. And the first moment that Satan shows up, the first question that he asks, he falls. He was in a garden full of plenty and the first Adam fell. And we know the story from there on in because through his fall, we all became separated from the living God. But Jesus was in a desert with nothing. And he overcame. And he overcame for you and me. And if he hadn't have overcome, there would have been no miracles, there'd have been no healings, there'd have been no cross, there'd have been no resurrection, there'd have been no ascension, and we would have been out without hope. Can you imagine what the world would look like if in that moment, in that pivotal moment, Satan had actually overcome Jesus? Can you imagine what this world would be like? So many people look around and curse God because of the state of the world, because of all the wars that we see, because of all the deprivation, the famine, the poverty. People look around and think, you know, God didn't do a very good job. But let me tell you this. It would be far, far worse if Jesus had been overcome in the desert. It would have been far, far worse. Because Jesus' divinity would have been stripped from him. And he would have been a vassal of the, the enemy for eternity. And so would we. We might not even be here today. The world might not even exist. Because we know that the Bible tells us that the, the enemy, that Satan, comes only to kill and steal and destroy. But thanks be to God that Jesus overcame in the desert. The last Adam overcoming in the desert where the first Adam fell in a garden. But how did he do it? Well, quite often this, this passage of scripture is used as a kind of blueprint for spiritual warfare. So I'll just make one or two observations. The first is this, is that Jesus, not at this time or any time really, engaged Satan in a conversation very much. And the one thing that I find is conspicuous by his absence is the fact that Jesus didn't turn to Satan and say, Satan, I bind you in my name. There's a lot of binding of Satan going on in these days. My question is, if he's bound, who keeps letting him go? He didn't do that. He didn't raise his voice, I don't think. He didn't try to, to, uh, to bind him. 
He used scripture. And he used Deuteronomy. That dry old book. Deuteronomy. I mean, there wasn't the New Testament. It didn't exist. But surely he could have used a psalm. Surely he could have used Isaiah, because we've all read Psalms and we've all read Isaiah's, and they're, they're uplifting, you know, they're, they're, they're really good books. But on every single occasion, he uses Deuteronomy. Do you know in 2 Timothy, it says that all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed, even Deuteronomy. There is something about the scriptures that has within itself an inherent power that gives us the victory over the powers of sin and death. This word, this Bible, this tatty old Bible, is more than just a book. It's more than just a collection of books. It's more than a book full of historical facts and figures. It's it's more than a book of, of poetry and wisdom. It's the very word, the very last word and testament of the living God. And it's the sword in our hand. It's the same word that we can use to overcome the enemy. Jesus is the word in the flesh. And do you know something? Satan knows the word. He knows the word better than you and me because he's had thousands of years to look at it and read it. He knows this Bible inside out. And if you were to try and have a competition with Satan to see if you could remember the most sort of Bible references, he would beat you hands down. He knows the word of God. He knows the scriptures. But he's not obedient to them. And he hates them. And all he does is try to manipulate them. Because that's who he is. He's a manipulator And he's a rebel. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, the Word incarnate, he knew the Word. Because he is the Word. Jesus overcame. And I want to read a a passage here from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you've got a Bible... To turn to it. Uh, verse verse uh, 16. It says, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith, my faith, is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But praise God, that's me. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Praise be to God. This is the gospel of salvation. This is why we're here. Because all of us, most of us, at one moment or another, had that pivotal moment. We had that moment, that realisation that there was more to life than what we imagined. That pivotal moment happened for me on the 6th of October 1990, at approximately 10pm. That was when I realised that God was real. That was when I realised that God was more than just a myth. That was when I realised that God was 
wanting to be my friend, despite my sin and my shame. That was when I realised that Jesus loved me. And you know, even to this day it still astounds me because I know that I didn't deserve his love, and I still don't. Where I came from, the life that I led, I knew that I didn't deserve to, to, go, to go to heaven. I, I, I thought my, my destination would be hell. Imagine my, my surprise and my wonder when I was in the church at Three Mile Cross on the night that I heard that Jesus gave his life for me. It was astounding. And yet it filled me with fear. Because I knew that at that very moment, at that pivotal moment in my life, God was well within his rights to end my life there and then. But he didn't. My life began there and then. And last night I was watching the, the firework display, you know, in London and seeing all those thousands of people there with their mobile phones recording the fireworks. And all of them were hoping that in 2017 there'd be a pivotal moment. We're always filled with hope on this particular day, and yet it's just a day like any other, but somehow we kind of build it up and imagine it to be something more than what it really is. And all these thousands of people are there, they're, 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 what, they're hoping for a pivotal moment. They're hoping for a defining moment, not just in London, but all around the world. What will 2017 bring? Will it be a good year? Will it be a bad year? My question to you is, is, what are you hoping for? What will be your pivotal moment? There, there might be many. Right now you might be sitting there and, and you might sort of have an idea of what that could be, what it could look like, what that life-defining moment could look like. But here's my challenge. Out of all of the pivotal moments you will ever face in your life, there's only one pivotal moment that really matters. There's only one pivotal moment that echoes into eternity. There's only one life-defining moment that really has any bearing at all. And that is, what will you do when you hear that Jesus died on the cross to set you free from the power of sin and death? Because you might be here this morning having been a churchgoer all your life. You might know the Bible. You might read the Bible every day. You might have some kind of understanding. But as I keep trying to tell the, the young people in the gap, <clears throat> Christianity is more than just an academic exercise. It's more than just a, a knowledge of facts and figures. It's more than what you just know in your head. It's what you know in your heart. If Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit, to go into a wilderness experience and overcome the devil, how much more so ourselves? I keep telling the young people, we need the power of the Holy Spirit because this kingdom is more than just a kingdom of words. It's a kingdom of power. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead can be and should be at work in our own lives, that same resurrection power. And it's that same power that the community of Southcote needs to be exposed to. Because for so long now, they've heard all the platitudes. They've heard 
all of the different things that the church has got to say and they're not convinced because we say one thing and we do another. We become a byword. We become a byword in this nation and we're beginning to reap what we've sown. But I believe that God in his mercy has given us a window of opportunity And I don't know how long that window is going to last. It could be weeks, it could be months, it could be a couple of years. But we've got a window. And we've got a pivotal moment. Not just in Southcote, but in this nation. Can you see it? There is a pivotal moment, a defining moment for us as individuals and the church. There is a world out there that's lost in sin. They don't know who they are. Thousands of people waiting for that pivotal moment. What will it be? We know what it should be. Salvation. Eternal life. We've given them second best for too long. But it's time for the church to rise up. To get the passion. Not to have these platitudes. But to preach the gospel. In word and in power. Not just a social gospel. A social gospel is good, but we've got to have a word gospel. We've got to preach the word. We've got to be unashamed of it. We've got to be unapologetic about it. Because it's the word of God that saves. And Southcote needs saving. Reading, England, the world needs saving. We know who that saviour is. It's tragic. That we have this word within us. We have this power within us. And it's locked away. Jesus said, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. If you've got a light, you don't put it under a stand. You bring it out so the whole house can see it. I believe that 2017 can be a pivotal moment. For us as individuals, for us here at St. Matthew's, and for the church in this nation. But it's not a pivotal moment that's going to last forever. I was watching a film last night about Eddie the Eagle. (laughs) Have you seen it? It's really funny. And I remember Eddie the Eagle, and it it was just amazing, sort of like watching the film and thinking sort of like how absurd he seemed. But there was a line in that film that really struck me. And it was something that Eddie said. And, it, and he said, basically, look, to this guy that was kind of his coach, I want to go to Calgary because this is my moment. This is my moment. Everybody's just written me off. Everybody thinks I'm a buffoon. And everybody's always thought that about me, but this is my moment. He was a complete loser on the face of it. But what a guy. You know something? We're all losers. Everyone in this room, we're all losers. If you think you're not a loser, (laughs) you need to think again. I'm a loser. Always been a loser. That's why I needed a winner. That's why I needed a saviour. Because I'm a loser. And I'm glad I'm a loser. And there's lots of losers out there. And they know they're losers. But 
They're made in the image of God. And so they got a shot at being a winner. And the only way they can be winners is to know the winner, is to know Jesus. At least for me, I'm going to end right now, at least for me personally, I want 2017 to be a year of breakthrough for me to preach the word. Every year I think about going out onto the streets. I hardly ever do it. This year I want to do it. Because you know something? Jesus is coming back. Amen? Do you believe that? Jesus is coming back. We are going to be reunited with our saviour he's coming back he's coming back and when you look around you at the world at all the things that's going on in the world today I'm convinced he's coming back soon we don't have much time and I know he's coming back soon because at least it's 2,000 years earlier than what it was when he was on the earth it can't be that much longer And you know, the Bible says that there's going to come a time when the full amount of the Gentiles will have come in and the door will be locked. And the Bible says that when God shuts a door, no one can open it. No one can open it. You can bang on that door as much as you like, but when that door is shut, it's not going to open. That door is shutting soon. There won't be any second chances. There's no purgatory. I'm sorry to have to tell you that. But there is no purgatory. Jesus died once and for all. So that we might know him. No second chances. So this year, let it be a pivotal year. We've had five years. This could be the time. Let it be the pivotal year. The defining year for you. As an individual. For Southcote as a community, for for Great Britain as a nation, for the world as a whole, because that pivotal moment is fast going to pass us by. And here's my challenge. If God is speaking to you, not my words, but if there's something in you that you know there's something stirring, if God is speaking to you, if you can feel something rising in you, don't wait for the Alpha Course. The Alpha Course is good, but the Bible says today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Respond. Take the moment. Be the Eddie Eagle. Seize the day. You don't know what tomorrow's got in store. Look at poor Will. He didn't think he was going to fall through a factory roof, but he did. It happens. My friends... He loves you. If he didn't, he wouldn't have gone through the agonies that he did. He died on the cross for you. He loves you so much. And he's got a plan for your lives. Satan only comes to kill and to steal and destroy. But Jesus came that you could have life. Life in abundance. It's so much more. So much more than we could ever know, that we could ever ask or imagine. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise because you are the one true God. 
Beside you there is no other. You are the Alpha and you are the Omega, the beginning and the end. And we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he died in our place to set us free from the power of sin and death and to give us life, life in abundance and life eternal. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for every soul in this place this morning that you would come and you would fill us afresh with the power of your Holy Spirit. That, Lord God, you would give us eyes that see and perceive and ears that hear and understand and hearts that would be soft and open that we might turn and be healed by you. Father, we raise up this community to you and we ask, Lord God, that this year would be a year of breakthrough and we lift up our nation, God, and we pray that you would have mercy upon us. Father, we've turned our hearts from you. We've turned our backs on you. Father, I pray that you would forgive us. Remember those saints that went before, who took the gospel all around the world. Father, I pray that if there's anything left in our account, Lord God, that you would give us this one opportunity, that Lord God, we would be bold, that we would preach the gospel in season and out of season, that Lord God, we would not be apologetic about our apologetics, but Lord God, fill us with that power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Lord God, have your way in our midst. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Lord, I pray that your light would come and shine in the darkness of this nation. Lord, that you would have your way. Lord, that your word would ring out, followed with signs and wonders and miraculous healings. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We thank you that you died in our place. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Heavenly Father. Come, Holy Spirit, and have your way in our midst for your sake and for your glory. Amen.